Welcome to the Mono e Mono podcast, the podcast that debates one-on-one basketball games between current NBA players, retired athletes, fictional characters, celebrities, you name it, we debate it. My name is Adam, and I'm joined by two of my best friends here, the one and only regular time Austin, love you my guy, and then we have a new face for season two, I know it's been a bit of a hiatus since the last few episodes, life happens, now we're back to season two. Laurel, unfortunately, he's gonna he's gonna pepper in and out of the season, but for for now and for always, we'll have my boy Roger as the the second guest slash not guest uh, host, I should say. Um, so how you do? How you guys doing? Six months? It's been a while. Six months? It's been that long? No, it feels like six months though. It's probably like three, four. Oh my god! Yeah, but that feels like it feels like an eternity. But at the same time, too, I also blacked out like all of last year with COVID, and then most of this year until I actually started doing things. So, I, I uh, my timeline of everything is just all over the place. But I just know that next month, or is it the end? Uh, no, yeah, next month we actually are back to the NBA season. So, yeah, it feels a little fitting. It feels like maybe we just kind of coincided with the off season as well. You know, we we needed our slumber, we needed our recharge. But it's been an exciting off season, that's for sure. And I wanted to see one what you guys thought about the Bucks winning the championship. I know it's kind of old news, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. What What do you guys think? For me, it was it was very unexpected. I like Giannis a lot. Actually, I really love Giannis a lot. But I didn't think that he would be able to step up the way he did. I I did predict that the Suns were going to the finals, and I did that under the pretense of them winning the finals. But what Giannis did and what that team did as a whole, um, but what Giannis was able to do with the limitations that he has to his game, it was it was amazing to watch. And like as I watched every single game, I shifted from the first game being like, yeah, I wanted the, the Suns to win to wow, I would love the Bucks to win because honestly, I it's it's just a happy story. And Giannis is just a down to earth great guy that he's just happy to be here. So I. I really loved uh, the championship for the Bucks there. Yeah, it was just some good basketball, which is always what we crave. And uh, it's great to see Giannis, you know, finally crack that egg. Maybe he can win MVP again this year. Now, because of that, as Adam told me last year, that he wouldn't be able to win another one until he did this. So maybe the decade of Giannis is still here to come. Man, if uh, it's true. I think the floodgates are open for his, his career. And I just wanted to shout out uh, also – Drew Holiday having the the summer of his lifetime, winning a championship, winning a gold medal, and also winning a fantasy basketball championship on my team. It was just the it was the three peat, and it was in one summer. And it was I just wanted to give him a round of applause for that as well. <laughs> we we don't need to talk about uh, Drew Holiday on this podcast. Uh, not that I was the one that lost you in fantasy basketball, but I feel a person that did lose to you would be very upset about it. So, like, let's just move on from that and think about <laughs> next season. I know. It's right around the corner. I'm excited for the draft. Uh, any, I guess, Austin would more, mean, know more about this. He's the college guy. Any rookies that you're interested in or, or looking forward to this season? Yeah, there's several. Because, honestly, I don't know many. I don't know many, so you're informing me as well. Yeah, and that's a nice try. Our fantasy drafts in two weeks, so we can have that conversation once the season starts. I see what you're what oh you're after. Here's some God. nuggets. I just We're wanted to see. 
Yeah, for the people, what, what, who are you looking forward to watching as a rookie? I'm looking forward to uh, all of the... Uh, I got nothing for you, Adam. I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> I just know that you're a big college guy, and then maybe you would have had one or two that you were looking forward to, but it's okay. Oh, I, got, I have several, but again, they're off limits. Oh, okay. You so. know, we're, we're in the dark zone right now. This is yeah. This is getting personal. All right, there's, I guess the there's people a are- no-fly zone for all of you that don't know. You know, there's a certain time of year where you're not allowed to talk about things until they happen, and this is it. Adam's always trying to get these nuggets out of me. He's trying to squeeze them out, trick me in different ways to have them come through, and it's not going to happen. <laughs> all right. Well, maybe we can briefly touch on your gambling habits. How are the over/unders looking for you? <laughs> <laughs> the over-unders process has just begun. Uh, we're about a quarter of the way through it for this year so far. Um, you know, so far there's a, there's a few teams that are jumping out that, you know, might be a good look. You know, there's a lot of injuries right now that are kind of under-tiding uh, teams like the Hawks that maybe, you know, would be pretty confident in the over-under number that's listed out there, right? Them going over it. But, um, you know, Bogdanovich, Herder, and Capella are all having some uh, hangups from last season still that are bleeding into training camp. Those are things you got to watch out for. But uh, this is my favorite time of year to do this because this is where I find all of those uh, rookies that I like and uh, really understand how the league works and making correct postseason predictions at the end of the year, regardless. And then making that money <laughs> or giving it away, whichever way. Definitely not the second one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Austin, Austin makes that money with the gambling. So I got to get in on it one of these seasons. But speaking of some offseason stuff, there's a lot of movement that happened within the NBA. And I wanted to hear if you guys had any moves that you were surprised on, are you looking forward to, are you frowning your face at? What are you guys thinking? Well, I'll say with the Lakers, but obviously it was the big Russell Westbrook move. But my favorite move was Carmelo Anthony going to the Lakers because that's my guy. And if there's a team that's going to win other than the Knicks, even though I have the Knicks going to the finals every single season, um, <laughs> I would love Carmelo Anthony in, in the uh, purple and yellow to uh, win, a, win a championship with his best friend LeBron and be a major contributor. I think that, that that's what he needs to uh, solidify his career. He is a Hall of Famer, but I feel like that will just be the icing on the cake for him. And then he can... He can retire wherever he wants. Hey, come back to the Knicks for one season. You can suck it up on the bench for all I care. Like, I'm just happy for you. As as a notorious mellow hater, Austin, if he wins a championship, say he plays 20 minutes, averages uh, 12 and 5, does it change his legacy at all to get a championship? No, absolutely not. And I think that might be one of the sole moves that could lower championship odds Uh more so than any but any else made this offseason is having him be a regular part of that rotation going forward. Um, yes, he can provide some shooting, but the rest of the numbers are very ugly across the board now. And uh, expecting him to be in that, you know, saw in the Blazers last year when he's on the court with even one other so-so defender, it really drags a whole team down. Um, again, I think it's a okay fit because he can still shoot, but really he probably is a part-time player at this point. <laughs> I just love having a mellow hater and a mellow lover in the same video call. I mean, that's the thing though. I, I do enjoy watching mellow play. I just don't enjoy watching his impact on winning basketball at, at this point. That's just like, you just contradicted yourself in that whole statement. <laughs> 
You weren't listening close enough. I said, I, I like watching him play, but I don't like him not have a good impact on winning. It's, it's pretty, but ineffective is what he's saying. Exactly. I who I love jab steps. Give me all the jab steps in the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the way to win hey, in this hey, time. I accept all of his flaws. And like I said, I, he was the person that got me into the NBA. And I, I, I can never not love the man for that. But I, mean, well, I think we should actually talk about the main component that uh, the Lakers did get. Russell Web- Westbrook was a big move. Yeah, I, I think at first I was a little hesitant just because the spacing on the floor with a traditional center because a lot of the time the Lakers weren't playing AD at the five. They were playing him at the four. I just I don't get it. I mean, LeBron's a, a competent shooter now. AD is, I think, an average three-point shooter at best. Russell Westbrook is definitely not a uh, average three-point shooter. So at first I was like, eh. But then there's rumblings of AD playing the five and LeBron playing the four. And then I think things start to get real interesting with that team. Because if you can have Russell at the one, you have a Malik Monk or Wayne Ellington just sitting in the corner waiting for three-pointers shots to hit. And then the other three playmaking, you throw in a – hopefully Horton Tucker makes a step – up he can be a rotation player or mellow and uh, i think that offense is looking very dangerous so i do believe that they're probably picks to make it out of the west if unless luca and kp can take a, a real step forward uh, luca's been taking steps forward but kp is uh, i'm i'm praying for him this season uh, another off-season acquisition i actually might add that jason kidd coaching has oh that's scary that is Real um, concerning. And hopefully he does something different than he did in the Milwaukee Bucks and the Nets because it was real ugly. No, absolutely. Um, I, I don't think the Lakers are the favorite in the West. I, I didn't feel like that last year. Um, I don't think this helps in that regards. Also, they they brought in some, some role players that are okay fits, but there's too much uh, DeAndre Jordan, too many slow fives pegging around that aren't really very good anymore. Uh, Dwight, Dwight Howard as well uh, comes to mind. It's just, it's not a good fitting roster. Uh, in the regular season, they'll be fine. Um, they're going to go up against plenty of defenses that shouldn't give them issues at all. But in the postseason, they're going to struggle uh, quite a bit. Even with AD at the five, I don't think there's enough talent uh, one through five across the board to to make that work right now. So uh, I probably won't have them in that top tier uh, of contenders. I think the West is wide open and and I'm not impressed with what I'm seeing right now. No one really took a step forward. There's some key players that are going to be out for most of the season. uh, And we really won't know what we're seeing with most of these teams till March. So post-trade deadline is really where I feel like the season starts in the West this year. Wow. That's kind of surprising. You have a contender for the Lakers because what the Clippers have no Kawhi. The Nuggets have no Jamal Murray. The Jazz or the Jazz. and So, again, I guess I need to be more specific today. When I say top-tier contenders, I mean for the championship, not just in the West, right? Oh, I guess so. Or just the Nets and the Bucks are you the top tier yes. for you? Correct, yes. I respect it, even though some of your picks last season were a bit suspect. And um, I still respect your basketball judgment. <laughs> so, well, Injuries well. are a hell of a thing. <laughs> they are. All right. Hold on. You forgot the biggest news of the offseason, and I'm shocked. With oh, you yes, you're right. The, the New York Knickerbockers oh, that's really making some, some big-time moves here. You know, they actually have a backcourt this year, so maybe maybe they can replicate last season's success now. 
I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want. Obviously, like I'm. I am the resident Knicks fan. Obviously, Adam, like you're a Knicks fan too, but you're more so with your uh, your Mavs. But you know, I don't want to always like you know make it about the Knicks, even though everything everything is about the Knicks. Knicks for clicks is uh, actually <laughs> actually a saying. But um, it's nice to actually have a bona fide point guard. I obviously I'm worried about his injury history, but thinking of the upside. I think that we had the ability to at least match where we arrived last season. Fourth seed, maybe fifth seed, because the East is the East is finally a beast. Like there there are actual there there are players. Like I didn't expect that out of the Hawks last season with uh, Nate McMillan and obviously like seeing how they went up against us and then just challenged everybody else down the road. That was big. Philly's not going anywhere. Obviously, you have the Bucks. You have the Nets, who, if they stay healthy, um, as much as I hate to say it, like if they're healthy, they're they're winning it all. There's the only team that can contend with them are the Bucks on that side. And even then, the Bucks, the only reason that they really did have that upper edge is because of the injuries that that uh, the Nets were dealing with. But, and the uh, fact that Kevin Durant has a very large foot. Uh, yes, yes. Um, he should probably look into uh, getting surgery to reduce his foot by like half an inch or something like that. Because then he would probably be in the finals and he would be, uh, what, would be his third championship now if he had one last year? Uh, yeah, it would have been his third. And I think that that would have been the most impressive. Austin, you look confused. Uh, yeah, this was trying to catch up to the foot discussion <laughs> Didn't, one i thought some kevin durant feet pics hit the internet <laughs> the foot scandal of all foot scandals <laughs> i gotta uh, say though i i mean normally you say football is a game of inches but uh, wow that game was the basketball version of a game of inches because he was not he was unstoppable that night <laughs> unstop and it's scary it's scary and also like great to watch Kevin Durant play because the dude is uh, unbelievable, unbelievable. When he's hitting his shots, he can hit from anywhere, over anybody. Yeah, no, I think he's made a pretty strong claim for best player in the world right now. You, you can argue LeBron, and you can argue Kevin Durant. Right at this second, I wouldn't be mad at either take because they're both quite unstoppable. Giannis, I probably have at number three even though he did win the championship and he has been an unstoppable force. If if I have to choose between the three, Giannis would be the last of the three, in my opinion. For me, I, I would have to put him at two. And obviously, skill-wise, he's not there with Kevin Durant, but what he was able to do during those finals, during that, that run up to the finals – with his limitations, like he was never afraid to take the three. Yeah, he knew when he could and he couldn't. And he's not a great three point shooter. He was able to do that. He's not a great mid range shooter, but when he needed to, he would, he'll stay, still take still take advantage of it. And that's a knock that I have on Ben Simmons, where he's afraid to take those shots. He can he can make them. You see them, and he's doing his practice. He can make them. But I respect what Giannis is able to do. And even though he's only getting two pointers some most of the time, he's getting like fifty and like fifteen some of these games and i'm like that's amazing with all your limitations you're able to do that i i and you have a championship to now back yourself up i have to put him over lebron because oh, wow. obviously obviously time time father time is coming and obviously his iq is going to still keep him in the top 
the top tier, but I, I have Kevin Durant one and I have Giannis two, uh, LeBron three. Roger, I'm going to back you up on that. I think uh, if we change the question to who can perform the best in a four-minute burst, I'll still go with LeBron. But past that point, just hasn't shown the commitment lately. I think he's been hurt a little bit and also... Old, yes. He's getting, he's getting up there, but I think for one game, I'm still taking LeBron being able to control the entire offense and not have the defense be able to collapse on him. Giannis was able to break through the collapsing a lot, but it was... We'll see if it happens consistently. LeBron's won it three times already. This is his first. So I got to give it to the the guy that's been there three times as much. That's fair. But I, well, I guess Robert Ory is your your number one then. Oh, don't get me started on Robert Ory's campaign to get into the Hall of Fame because I am – that is getting me perturbed. Just because he Perturbed? Yeah. He's the greatest role player of all time. Not one single role player should ever be in the Hall of Fame. How can you tell the story of basketball without Big Shot Rob? <laughs> you tell the story, but you don't induct him into the Hall of Fame. You just tell the story with him. Your Hall of Fame's no fun. No Your disrespect to no, fun. no disrespect to Robert Ory, but if we're putting him in there, then what? We're gonna put like Steve Javi, Manute Bull, <laughs> Hall of Famer, Manute Bull, George Marison, tallest player ever. All right, Not well, we're, interesting. we're getting off the rails now. <laughs> Let's uh let's gather on to what we're actually here for, and it is to pin one-on-ones hypothetically against one another, and one person judges, and that's what we do around here. So <laughs> on that note, the first matchup we have today is going to be Julius Irving against Russell Westbrook, and I know this sounds like a very weird matchup. We had a bit of trouble trying to come with Irving's matchup because he's, he's in a kind of a class of his own. We thought, who's a high flyer? Who can match the energy? Who's up there? And Russell Westbrook really we can't match up with a point guard. He would just eat any other point guard alive, really. So we had to match up with a little bigger man. Today, I will be arguing for Julius Irving. Austin will be arguing for Russell Westbrook. Before we get into the matchups, I do have to go over the rules, though. The game is 221. Each basket counts as one point, except for three-pointers, they count as two. You're going to be calling your own fouls, meaning if you think... If the person thinks they got fouled, they'll call it, get it back at the top of the key. We'll have taking back on uh, every rebound except for steals and blocks. You can put it right back up. And am I missing any rules? It's been a while. I might be rusty. I tell you, you should pre-record that every time. <laughs> no, I like to keep it fresh. You know, I, I gotta like I gotta mix it up sometimes in my vernacular. But we'll just leave it at that. And I usually we figure out who goes first and who goes second, but Roger, as the judge of today's endeavor, you will choose who goes first and who goes second. Also, we implemented it later last season. Roger, if you will, give us 10 minutes on our initial arguments each. You'll give us time if we go over, and then we'll have five-minute rebuttals, and then we'll probably get a little messy at the end arguing about things, but that'll oh, be that. We'll messy here? Austin gets Austin gets real mad at my my debating style, so it gets it gets a little contentious. He likes his arguments how he likes cooking his spaghetti. Throws it at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> I think you need to cook spaghetti before that happens. <laughs> but Roger, let us know who who is going first in this in this debate. Um, I think just because we just had the the whole conversation of the big trade. Russell Westbrook has to go first. 
So, Austin, uh, your turn on the mic. Great. Thanks, Roger. Appreciate that. So, Russell Westbrook, a.k.a. The Brody, a.k.a. Russ Beastbrook, Mr. Triple Double himself, stands in at six foot three, 200 pounds. And, you know, that's going to be a challenge today going up against Julius Irving. But, you know, we went with this matchup because we thought he could handle it. You know, Dr. J is in a kind of his own tier of small forwards. There's definitely some guys above him historically. There's some guys below him. And we just really didn't feel like the the tier below would do him justice, give him, you know, a good matchup and interesting one as well, too. So we decided to go with one of the most athletic point guards or shooting guards or whatever the hell you want to call him, uh, Russell Westbrook to match up against him. And that's always been the thing about Westbrook that I enjoy watching most is, you know, whenever he decides he's going to the rim, it's like he shot out of a cannon. Um, he has an amazing handle. And that was one of the really fun things watching him kind of grow up uh, around a similar age that, that we were, he's a few years older than us. So we got to see pretty much the entirety of his career as well as college um, is just how much his game had had changed right uh, up through his peak, you know, and we're probably a little bit post peak now, but that's not the year I'm going to be choosing. I, I don't think the Washington Wizards in 2021 were uh, we could stand up to Julius Irving. We, we won't be that silly uh, to know, say man. that, but I, he averaged a triple double. <laughs> he did, but he also has done that. Uh, I think one, two, this is fourth time doing that now. So it's insane. That is insane. <laughs> It, it was shocking the first time it happened, and it propelled him to an MVP also, which is the year I'll be choosing, the 2016-2017 uh, Oklahoma City year. And I did think it was actually a little bit funny, too, because I, I had the perception going into this, like, like, yes, his stats were somewhat inflated that year because he played on a not-so-talented team uh, around him. But he, you know, he actually really put up some immaculate numbers that year to, to use uh, my favorite word of the day lately. So that season, he put up 31 and a half points per game, 10.7 rebounds, 10.4 uh, assists, uh, a steal and a half a game, uh, as well as half a block. And he shot uh, 43% from the field, 34% from three, which was a career high for him on seven attempts, which was also a career high by quite a bit. He's taken just about every shot in sight that year, and he shot 85% from the free throw line. His last great season from there, which it's almost kind of scary now because he's down in the 66% range uh, two out of the last three years. You know, So the Lakers got to watch out for that as well, too. And, and of course, I'm going to acknowledge this out front. This is the, the most glaring stat that comes along with the, his season that year was his 5.4 turnovers per game. Russ has been a little loose with the ball at, at times throughout the years, but that season he had a 42% usage rate, which is essentially saying how often uh, he's you know uh, either finishing a possession with a shot, assist, or a shot attempt by a team in a direct pass, right? Uh, and that is an astronomical number, uh, which was the NBA record at the time too. So putting that turnover number in context, uh, it actually, if we look at his turnover percentage, right, or the amount of possessions he's using, it's not even in the top five highest of his career. So he protected the ball pretty well that year. So when Adam tries to say later, that's a big problem. It, it's it's not really. It was actually in line with his career average. So um, that's important to know. 
some other accolades that came along with that year. Of course, he was a controversial MVP pick. The writers picked him, beat out James Harden, who, again, I actually supported at the time and still do. Uh, for that MVP that year, I thought he was a little bit better, but it was probably two of the best MVP seasons of all time. I mean, it, he averaged a 30-point triple-double. Uh, that's pretty inconceivable of how to do that. He's also been a two-time scoring champ in the NBA, uh, nine-time All-NBA. And my favorite kind of weird stat of that season uh, that came across for Westbrook uh, was in the All-Star game that year. You know, and honestly, I hesitate usually to bring up All-Star game moments, things like that, because they just, they're very, not very meaningful usually. Uh, But that season, Westbrook scored 41 points in the All-Star game, had seven assists and five rebounds in 19 minutes of play, uh, which I thought was really cool. (laughs) That's just pretty stunning to be able to put up that big of numbers uh, in that little time. And it just kind of showed how he went about playing that season, right? If we think about the team around him, he had, you know, Steven Adams was, uh, and Victor Oladipo were probably the two only other above average players on that team at that time. They started a rookie DeMontis Sabonis at the four who could barely do anything at that point in time, had one of the best year two, year three jumps we've ever seen in the league. You know, there wasn't very much spacing on that team. Andre Roberson was also a starter. So when you're talking about having Roberson, uh, Sabonis, and and Adams, uh, there wasn't very much room to operate. And Westbrook made it work. You know, that's that's the beauty of him and and why his game translates so well to one-on-one is, you know, he can break a guy down off a dribble. Even if you think he's going to the rim, which he almost always is, it's very hard to stop him from doing that. Very few people can stay in front of him. That particular season uh, as well, too, uh, he took 30% of his shots um, within three feet of the rim uh, and made 58% of those, which is a a pretty good mark, right? So when you talk about a shot profile, 30% of his shots were at the rim, 30% were from three, and he shot 34% that year. So, you know, he's basically making a third of them, which isn't great, but compared to his opponent is excellent um, and, and probably will be the difference in this matchup. The rest of his shots, obviously, Russell is notorious for having a mid-range jumper, getting to it whenever he wants, almost to his detriment sometime. Uh, That season, he shot 43% on where he takes the majority of his mid-rangers, which is a solid number. There's also about 17% of his shots where from a little deeper, he struggled a little bit more, 35%, right? So really when it comes down to it, you know, in one-on-one with all the spacing around the court, I don't really think Irving's going to be able to keep him, uh, you know, in between a few feet in front of the three-point line and and behind it. I think he'll be able to go either way on him to, to get to a, a better spot for the mid-range and it's going to take a lot of shots at the rim as well too. Uh, and of course, if he gives him any space, you know, he'll, he'll shoot those threes and, and try to make it work. That's all I got. All right. I felt like I was talking extra fast today. Is that the, do y'all feel that too? It's, we're rusty, man. We got to get back into the rhythm of it. It's okay. You sounded wonderful to me, even though your argument was not as good as mine's going to be. But anyway, wow. Uh, I have Julius Irving and he's, uh, he's actually a pretty special, uh, player to me. I've, I've, Watch his highlights growing up because I had the top 50 uh, or top 100 plays of all time on DVD. And he was on there, littered on there, dunks, blocks, anything. And looking into it, he actually grew up in Roosevelt, New York, which is a town right above me and where I grew up, Baldwin. And he went to UMass, which is the same college I went to. So uh, shout out Julius Irving, a.k.a. Dr. J, a.k.a. The Doctor, 
aka JW, aka The Claw, aka Black Moses, aka Houdini, aka Little Hawk, aka Doc, aka Julie. You heard that right. Standing in. Only one of those matters. Come on. I mean, I, most, I, I'll give you a you background. You mention the most iconic nickname? Dr. J. What do you mean? That's it. Nothing else. I mentioned it's it first. Dr. J. He's a one name. He's no, like no. Cher. Well, I will tell you his – I was going to bring it up a little later, but those other nicknames actually came from his time at Rucker Park because he grew up in New York. He went uh, right after college He in the summers. He would – or during college and after college, he went to the summers in Rucker Park, and he became a huge legend there. And that's where he had a lot of nicknames thrown around him, including the Claw, pre-Kawhi. He didn't like that nickname. He said, try another one. He said, Black Moses. He said, I don't like that nickname. Try another one. He said, Little Hawk. He said, I don't like that nickname. That's Connie Hawkins' nickname. And he was like, what do you want to be called? He was like, if you want to call me anything, call me the doctor. And he actually did give himself that nickname, which is, I think, the only nickname in history that he, anybody's ever given themselves that's stuck and is still cool. So yeah, he he brought out kids, went to different building tops to watch him play. It was he was incredible. So he's standing in at uh, Basketball Reference says six seven, but I've known him to be six six mostly. I've seen other places that say six six. He's two hundred ten pounds, and I can't find a wingspan. But when I did Google what Dr. J's wingspan was, I did find an interesting tidbit of information. So apparently. Dr. J's hand size was a thing of legends as well, kind of like Kawhi Leonard's. And I found this website that had the 10 largest NBA player hands. And though he comes in at number seven, and though is an estimate because they didn't measure it at the time, in 2014, he was at the NBA draft and he measured his hand with Noah Vonley. And Noah Vonley is actually number six on the list of biggest hands. So you can kind of compare old man Julius Irving's hands to Noah Vonley's who or who were measured and is one of the largest hands in NBA history. So that gives quite a bit of advantage in certain ways, which I'll get into a little later. Uh, had career averages 24 points, 8.5 boards, 4 assists, and fun fact, he's a 16-time All-Star. Every year of his career, he was an All-Star. Seven-time All-NBA championship for the 76ers and what's interesting a little tough for this decision of what year to pick was dr j's career was cut in half he was in the aba the american basketball association for the first half of his career and then when the two leagues merged to the nba he was then merged there so his stats some people don't count the aba stats i know austin would be a stickler about how the competition was lesser in the aba even though some of the numbers and some of the seasons that dr j had there were phenomenal and he was a two-time aba champion mvp two times as well and if you combine the nba and the aba stats he's actually eighth all time in scoring but people don't like to combine it but anywho for the season i'm picking i decided i had to go with the nba just to raise up the competition i'm going with the 1979-1980 season he was 29 years old. That year, he averaged 27 points, 7.5 rebounds, 4.5 assists, 2.2 steals, 1.8 blocks, with 52% field goal percentage and 78% free throws. That year, he was second in MVP voting behind Kareem. He played 78 games out of 82, and he was first-team All-NBA. And he made it to the finals that year, and he lost to the Lakers in six. And when you look at that 
roster that he was working with that year, it wasn't very good. The lead, the second leading scorer was Daryl Dawkins at 14.7 points a game. The third best player that was supposed to be on the squad, uh, Doug Collins, or the uh, yeah, he was supposed to be third because Mo Cheeks was the second best player. Third best player, Doug Collins, was hurt for most of the year. He missed 60-something games, so he really wasn't around. And Daryl Dawkins was about the second year. So when you talk about his spacing, what Austin mentioned with Russell Westbrook, back then spacing, everybody was clocking the paint. That was the, the defensive scheme, especially with the, the shooters or lack thereof that Dr. J was working with. So to make it to the finals, they beat Larry Bird's Celtics on the Eastern Conference Finals. So obviously Dr. J is known for his dunking. He was Air Jordan before Air Jordan was Air Jordan. And Michael Jordan even says he inspired him with his creativity around the basket and his just the overall athletics and that you can dominate a game with dunking and and being creative. There is that famous scoop layup that I think every basketball player knows where Dr. J goes from one side, raises it up, puts it on the other side and lays it up against Michael Cooper and I believe Magic Johnson. That was in that finals game. So even though you're thinking maybe Dr. J at 29 years old is not that athletic as the younger version, trust me, he still gets up. He still had one of the most incredible basketball players in NBA history, if not the most incredible. Uh, one may say that Vince Carter jumping over seven-foot player in the Olympics was probably the greatest basketball move ever. But we're not here to debate that. So when I look at Julius Irving, he's an elite, elite inside scorer. His body control and his dexterity and the big hands is where he comes into play. Because when you look at his highlights, there are so many times where he's in the air and people are colliding with his body and people are trying to block his shot. And he has the wherewithal to, A, just jump in the air higher and longer than most people. When people are coming down, he's still going up. And B, able to palm the ball with one hand over the likes of, I've seen Kareem Abdul-Jabbar highlights. I've seen Bill Walton and I've, I've provided references uh, and timestamps for some of these plays that I've showed you guys. Some of it was an adjustment on Kareem where he went, took it, uh, went for a layup, took it inside, and then just shifted hands, went to the next one. It's kind of hard to explain over an audio medium. But just the fact that he is ambidextrous, can finish with both hands at the rim, has four inches on, no, three inches on Russell Westbrook, tells me that he'll be able to easily finish over him in the paint. Irving has enough of a handle and a athletic explosion where he'll be able to get Westbrook on the side of him or just barrel through him. Dr. J is dunked on, again, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the best defenders the NBA has seen at his time. They were all clogging the paint. He was just able to finish. Then you look at his defense. 45th all-time in defensive rating, which there's been numerous amounts of Defensive rating isn't even a good individual season marker, let alone for a career. Listen, this is my intro. We can we can get to our rebuttals after. Oh, I got plenty of those too. So that season, he averaged 2.2 steals and 1.8 blocks. And for his career, there's not been one season Dr. J has averaged less than one block, meaning he has the defensive prowess to get up into shooters or should I say when Westbrook is trying to come at the rim, he's going to easily be able to contest him with his longer reach, his bigger hands, and his bigger body. Westbrook, mind you, is 245th all-time in defensive rating. I just want to throw it out there. 45th to 245th. Westbrook gambles on defense a bit much and is able to 
really just reach and teach. That's what Westbrook does. It's it's he's going to reach and then Dr. J is going to teach. So what I think is going to happen is most of the part, Dr. J is going to be able to post up Westbrook. He's going to be able to take him inside because he's stronger. He jumps higher and he's dunked over much bigger and stronger defenders than Westbrook has. Westbrook is more of a perimeter-based defender, so if Julius Irving is getting into the paint at all, there's no way that Westbrook's going to stop him. And I'll just leave it at that and uh, see what Austin got. Yeah, so the first place I want to turn to is your your claim that Dr. J's team wasn't very good. Last time I checked when you have two and a half other Hall of Famers on your team, uh, that's a pretty good team that you're on. So Maurice Cheeks, Hall of Famer. Bob, Bobby Jones, Hall of Famer. Uh, Doug Collins, likely to get in as a contributor, also very talented player. So Daryl Dawkins, while he was never an All-Star, also solid player, probably a Steve Adams-level player, which I would argue is the second-best player on Russell's team. So... This whole not-so-good team, I, I'm going to strongly disagree with that take. Those individual seasons, those players weren't particularly good. Mo Cheeks was 23 years old. He was a young Mo Cheeks, hasn't really gotten into the Mo Cheeks that blossom. Doug Collins was hurt most of the year. Bobby Jones was a defensive stalwart, doesn't really do much on offense. And Daryl Dawkins is chocolate thunder. Enough said. Again, Hall, hall of Famers. Uh, anyways... Uh, last time I checked, uh, Stephen Adams won't be making the Hall of Fame. Just saying. Um, <laughs> defensively, I think Russell's gambling will actually be a big benefit in this matchup. Uh, Irving averaged over three turnovers a game this season. Uh, you know, he he obviously could drive. Um, you know, coming from the perimeter, that's going to be a little bit uh, all the way at the three point line to start is a little bit further out than he would uh, typically have to go against a intense guard defender. Uh, when we're talking about Russell Westbrook, yes, he does gamble. No, he's not a great team defender. He uh, usually gets back cut, which shouldn't be an issue in this matchup. He does gamble for steals, which I think will give him a few other uh, extra possessions in this matchup. But as far as being stronger in, in, in a dunk package, if we want to compare those, I mean, Westbrook has dunked over many, many folks uh, aggressively. He has an explosion in, in short bursts that I think is a little bit better than Dr. J's was. Dr. J, again, if we're talking about verticality, you know, using the, the wingspan that Adam mentioned, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll give the advantage there. But I think in, and we're talking about in moving in quick spaces, acceleration, deacceleration. I don't think anybody's ever been better than Westbrook uh, at, at that, especially when you're talking about the 6'3 versus 6'6. I actually didn't realize that Dr. J was only 6'6. That makes me feel a lot better um, about the matchup. I don't think he'll be able to bully uh, Westbrook. Westbrook's incredibly strong uh, for his size. Uh, I think he can hold up. It's only a few inches more. Uh, and Dr. J wasn't, you know, he obviously could make and knock a jump shot down, but that wasn't, you know, his, he's a slasher more, right? Uh, I think that's going to play to the favor of Westbrook uh, there, uh, you know, trying to get through him. I think that's going to wear him out and Westbrook can go all day uh, and always has been able to. So I don't think that Russell Westbrook has the advantage usually in transition and with a lot of picks, he's able to burst when his man, Steven Adams, was instrumental in his seasons with getting space for Russell Westbrook because he sets some of the hardest screens in the NBA. And I don't think when we think of Russell Westbrook, you're right. He has the he has the burst, but he when you're in a one on one scenario, I don't. He doesn't have like the Chris Paul or the Kyrie or the Trey Young handles where he's breaking you down. He's really just trying to run and and body past you and be stronger than you. And for most parts, in in guards that are guarding him, that works. But I think for a bigger Julius Irving who has 
blocking ability, who has uh, re- better rebounding ability. I think Westbrook's stats were rebounding stats were quite inflated, and we all watched them. Stephen Adams just blocking out for him to get the rebound. So I don't think if Stephen Adams really wanted to that season get as many rebounds as he wanted, I don't think Russell is averaging the triple double. That that said, the one in Washington he earned fair and square. But anyway. Dr. J, I don't he has the jump shot, so he's gonna be able to raise up over Westbrook. He's gonna be able to outpower Westbrook, in my opinion. And because Westbrook doesn't really have that breakdown off this really breakdown dribble, I think he'll be able to stay in front of him. And if Westbrook were to beat him, he has the athletic ability to for those chase down blocks. I mean, we see if you get a little space, there it doesn't mean that the play is over. You if you have enough hops and enough reach and enough in length you'll be able to still contest the shot at the very least, which I think, I don't think many shots from Russell Westbrook will be not contested. As far as the the rebounding aspect, um, sure, Steven Adams could have got more, but we're still talking about the best rebounding guard of all time. Like there's, 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 you can, you can discredit a little bit and I would too, right? That that's fine. But no one else puts up anywhere near the numbers that he does from that perspective. Like as far as going up and getting it, I, I still would think that's probably close to even, um, I don't really see that being an advantage for Dr. J in, in the matchup here. You know, as far as aggressiveness, uh, going after the ball, you know, diving for balls, Westbrook is as an intensive player as there is out there. And I really think the intangibles will will give him help uh, in this one-on-one matchup. Okay. So that's definitely time with the uh, rebuttals. So I just have questions of my own. Obviously, I'll, it's just a standard, um, just to start out with, like, I think I have this question more so for Adam because I've actually watched Russell Westbrook play. I would rather go off of what Austin said, obviously, but how how exactly would Dr. J approach this? Like, you know, his ratio to one to twos or and how is he scoring? Yeah, so I don't think Dr. J is taking any twos. Dr. J, it'll have, I think, two or three advantages. One will be the ability to back down Westbrook because he has the footwork and the the quick step and the length to back down Westbrook really whenever he wants. Then he'll have the ability, if Westbrook wants to give him some space, he can and will hit mid-range jumpers. It's not that he won't he doesn't have a shot at all. It's just more limited to the mid-range. So if Westbrook's gonna respect the mid-range, that's where he has enough strength and he has enough dribbling ability where he'll be able to keep him on his hip or keep him really to his side. I think he'll be able to outmuscle Westbrook for the most part. And the third thing will be any misses or any any 50-50 balls. I think it's 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 Dr. J's. I was looking at his stats. That year he was averaging almost three offensive rebounds per game versus Westbrook's like one point uh eight, one, one point no, 1.7. So to me, when those 50-50 balls get up, say he does miss a layup with a contest, I think he has enough quick hops and, and size on Westbrook to get it up again and put it back up. Yeah, it's really just the slashing, the offensive rebounds, and just the ability to finish over him. Adam, do you think it's really fair to compare Irving's offensive rebounding numbers to Westbrook when Westbrook was taking as many shots and as a guard as well as... Um, passing the ball to shooters as frequently as he would. I just think 1.8 a game is absolutely phenomenal for a point guard. Again, I 
for me, it's everybody's clearing out the way for Westbrook, and I don't think that was the case for Dr. J. And I know you brought up his his high turnover. He was the highest usage rate of his team as well, and there wasn't many playmakers besides Morris Cheeks on the team. So I think when you were going to knock his his playmaking and his, his looseness with the ball, I think Westbrook is is by far more volatile with his, with, with his handles and his turnovers. And that'll play a big part in Dr. J getting some easy steals because Westbrook's just going to barrel into him at times because he does get out of control. And I think Dr. J is going to absorb that contact and it's just going to go nowhere for Westbrook. All right. So, Austin, how how do you envision this matchup going? Like uh, ratio of ones to twos and everything like that. So for the season, I chose Westbrook shot about uh, 30% of his shots from three. I don't think he'll be that high um, in this matchup. I think he'll primarily focus on getting to the rim, which were also 30% of his shots, right? So we're probably looking at a third uh, of the shots at the rim, probably about, uh, you know, 20, uh, 20% from three. So out of every five shots, he's taken one out there. Uh, and then the rest are going to come from the mid-range, right? Uh, I think he'll attack the rim early and often, uh, and Westbrook's proven throughout his career he is capable of doing that throughout a game. I don't really see fatigue setting in to, to Westbrook in that regards, uh, and he will go at the basket again and again. You've seen him dunk over, and I don't I – don't, this is one of my weak areas. I don't go into the, the dunk history like Adam does. That's I, I need some more visual evidence going forward. Uh, but we've all seen him do it. Uh, we've all seen him go barrel chested with the biggest guys in the league and, and finish over them repeatedly, especially when he was in his peak of athleticism when he was 27, 28 years old. I also think, Roger, I just want to add to, uh, I, I see, you know, again, a lot of these matchups, uh, one of the things I focus in on is how are you able to attack? And Russell Westbrook has always attacked from the perimeter. He's always started from there. He can get to a pull-up shot. He can get to the rim. He can step back to his his three ball, right? If he's already starting there, if Dr. J's playing off of him. That's what he's done his entire career. A lot of Dr. J's uh, offense was starting in the mid post, right? Getting the ball there, uh, either driving left or right, uh, taking a mid-range shot, maybe backing someone down. Uh, I don't want to discredit those, uh, you know, couple of dribbles. Uh, If you're facing intense defense in front of you and that's not something that you're doing and initiating the offense every single time, right, that makes a big difference. Just like Adam had said, with Westbrook being great in transition, Dr. J is also one of the best transition players of all time and got a ton of bad baskets going up and down the court and and that's not going to happen uh in one-on-one it's half court offense and I, I think that plays a little bit better into peak westbrook i think dr j will still be able to barrel through you take a couple dribbles to the side and if westbrook really wants to get up on him that heavily i don't see how dr j just doesn't really body him out the way or if you really want to he just backs him down to the spot that he does want and then just goes to work and if he's going to if Westbrook does want to play that high up, I don't see how Dr. J just doesn't barrel through him. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen anybody barrel through Wessel Westbrook. That's what I would say. That's fair. Um, it's mostly guards, though. He's, he's a forward and a strong forward at that. I mean, when he played on the Rockets, again, not a great defender. He did show that he could switch on to bigs on occasion. That was a staple of their scheme. And they chose him over Clint Capella. I don't think it was a very good defense, though. <laughs> PJ Tucker's like, I'm dying out here, man. I'm 6'4 center. I can't do this shit. <laughs> so, Adam, what, what, do, what do you foresee this final score being? I think it'll be a close one to only because Westbrook will be able to get a two or, uh, one or two threes off, I believe, which will, will close the gap 
for what Irving does do. So I think it'll be like a 21-18 game. And Austin? Yeah, not to cop out, but that sounds about right. I think the the twos will be the difference maker. Um, again, that's I hate that being the way to say. I'm not sure. I think it's I think it's probably pretty close to even if we're talking no twos, but with Westbrook's ability to, I can't believe I'm saying that sentence right. Make three point shots. <laughs> <laughs> he did this season, uh, and you know, added a solid clip. It's nothing special, um, but I think it's enough to to give him the edge in the matchup. Okay. I, I would have to cop out with that score, too, because that's uh, that's exactly how I look at it. And I try not to – I try to just base it off of whatever your arguments are, depending on the year, because obviously I know Russell Westbrook. I'm not as familiar with Dr. J. I tried to watch some highlights and everything a little bit, but like nothing to the point where my opinion swayed because I want you guys' arguments to be you know, my primary factor. Just knowing how erratic was, uh, Russell could be, I think that that's going to be the primary source that Dr. J gets a little more than half of his points. Um, Cause I think that Russell will be intense on the defensive side. Like if, if you're, if this is just a straight one-on-one like Austin referenced, like team defense, that's one thing, but one-on-one that's, that's one thing that you, that's the only thing that you have to worry about is the person that's in front of you. And you know how Russell plays both offensively and defensively and, he's intense on both sides, whether it's right or wrong. Like he, he'll, he'll put a hundred percent of his effort into it. But I think that, and I really hate, hate this, but like, I really think that the deciding factor will come down to the twos that Russell's able to make because that's, that's a big part of the game, you know, whether it wasn't, you know, in the past it is now. And if we're playing it on those terms, I think that those twos are going to end up winning it for Russell. If it was just a game of ones, I think Dr. J would have absolutely taken this. But just the fact that even if you're making, even if he makes, if if he misses six of them, if he makes one of them, I think that that would be the difference maker. So I think that that, mm, I don't that know, man. Be... If he misses six of them, that's like at least four scores for Dr. J to that one two pointer. And I know, and I, I understand that, but I'm I'm not saying that that's going to be his like main thing because he can Russell can get to the rim, but also he has that mid mid range, like it's not that's not something like out of out of the ordinary. And the clip that he was shooting mid range wasn't bad at all. Forty two percent. That's what you were saying, correct? Yeah, it was forty four percent. Forty four percent. Like that's that's still not bad. And I'm I'm just saying, just hypothetically, like you know. It, it would only take one or two of those twos to go in for that score to be close. And I think that that's what edges out Westbrook over Dr. J. But I, that's, I, I would have to agree it would be 21-18 Russell Westbrook for uh, this first matchup. All right. Well, what a disappointing season to start. <laughs> 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 I don't like putting it up to twos, but it's such a crucial part. And him making just two of them, that's four points. Like that's in a game to 21, that is insane. And, but like, I don't, I don't like basing it off of that, but I can't not factor that in. Yeah, no, I mean, I respect the judge's opinion, though. I disagree. I think uh, Irving would, would make it difficult with the shot contest at the three. I, I think, He'd be smart enough to say, I'm not giving you any twos. 
I will guard you at the perimeter. And if you want to beat me, beat me. I can recover. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's tough. Russell, Russell's done it against a lot of people, so I, I hear you. That is the, uh, the first matchup. We got Dr. J losing to Russell Westbrook 21-18. And for the second matchup today, we jump into the world of fairy tales and magic. And <laughs> we got nice. a ma- matchup of Hagrid from the Harry Potter series, big old Hagrid, and Shrek from the self-titled Shrek series. Uh, I will be arguing for Hagrid, and Roger will be arguing for Shrek. Austin will be the judge of this whole affair. And same rules as apply, game to 21, etc., etc. Austin, you are the power of the judge. You will choose. Who is going to be arguing first between Hagrid and Shrek? Oh, I definitely want to hear about Shrek first. Oh, I love me some Shrek. Okay. All right. Perfect. So I'm arguing for Shrek. He comes in at eight feet, 450 pounds. And I'm basing this on a couple of nicknames that I found, but I'll just say the top three ones that I do enjoy. Shrekus Maximus. <laughs> Our Lord and Savior, Shrek. And... This has nothing to do for for Shrek's name, but it has to do with him. But thick, and you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll fucking roll with it. <laughs> Shrek, he's he's at, at the beginning of his story. He's a loner. He he lives in a swamp by himself. He's a, he's he's a survivor. He knows how to survive by himself. He doesn't need he doesn't need anybody in his life. He was good with that until, obviously, the events of Sh- uh, Shrek 1 happened, and then he started meeting Donkey, and he met the princess and everything. But as that goes on, he's willing to adapt. He understands that his life is going under a change. He's, he's not afraid to change his lifestyle. And that's what I like because that shows that there's adaptability in his game. If he sees that something isn't where he wants it to be, he's willing to change himself and make sure that it's for the better. But as, as an ogre at 8 feet tall... He's strong as hell. He got into a fight to get to the princess. He got into a fight with about seven or eight guards, and he manhandled them. He literally took them into a ring, and all of these guards had weapons. And he just he raised his fists up, and he just showed them these hands, and he took them all up. Like seven, eight trained guards, trained for years. He was able to just take them out in a wrestling ring. If that doesn't tell you about the strength that he has down in the low post, I don't know what does, because it, what, what are you doing? What are you doing with that? But on top of that, when he was going to rescue the princess, he was actually able to stop the dragon, albeit for a second, I'll stop a whole dragon by the base of her tail from attacking his growing friendship with, with Donkey. For one second. That... Uh, that's that's longer than anybody else could. All right, for one second, okay. <laughs> for, for one second, I, I, I watched the clip and I I was hoping it would be at least five seconds, but it was enough for her to stop, turn around, and be like, "Holy shit, somebody actually stopped me!" It was the quickest turnaround in in, in history of like fantasy uh, fantasy movies, but you know that shows me that shows me that his strength is it's. A tier. Absolutely A tier. But there was actually during the second movie a time if he wanted to, he could face he could do this as a human, but I think that he would be better as an orc ogre. When he switched to a human, he was still able to take out like four or five guards like by himself. Like that's 
come on. Uh, he just breeds raw strength. So he's primarily going to be getting his, his points from the post uh, because so far I have not seen his ability to like shoot an arrow or anything. So Eesh. you know what? I'll accept that. But like I said, you keep that dragon in your mind because I don't think that Hagrid could just stop a dragon with this sheer raw power. Let's let's put that out there. But well, <laughs> you're a fool, bro. You are a fool. Yeah, you're setting yourself up for this power. one. <laughs> no. This raw power, I, I don't know. This dragon was pretty big. It was pretty big. But also, as I'm to- I'm getting to uh, the second movie, he had to use a big ginger bro- uh, gingerbread muffin person called uh, Mongo to help him storm the castle. And during this battle to get into the castle so that he could save his love of his life, uh, Fiona, Mongo died. Straight up died. And this man did not did not waste a second. He knew his objective. And he was like, I have to save Fiona. Yeah, cool. Gingerbread. We met earlier this movie. I appreciate what you did. But you're dead now. Just seeing that, my man has willpower. Like, nothing affects him. One of his friends that helped him on this mission died. Straight died. Had a whole whole thing and everything and never referenced him for the next two movies. Like that's 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 what it was. <laughs> Once he sets his mind to an objective, he's he's off to the runnings, and that's what tells me. Yeah, once he starts his back, basketball match, he's planning on winning. He he's he's not accepting a loss, and that's where his mental is going to. And on terms of you know what, I think there's going to be a crowd there because you know Shrek has a lot of friends, a lot, a lot of friends. Friends, he hates everybody. Uh, <laughs> Except for Fiona and Donkey and Dragon. All right? But he has people that admire him and that are going to come out there and support him. And one big thing throughout the movies is that Fiona is a terrible singer. Terrible. Horrible. Like, makes birds explode from how terrible that, that she sings. But he's able to sit there, listen to it, and be okay with it. So you know what? There's not going to be any distractions from Hagrid. The crowd noise, it's not going to affect him at all because he's he is a survival. He's hes a survivor. He's tough, mentally strong. Nothing's going to affect, affect my boy. But on top of that, he's he's skill. He's skill because when he was fighting these these several guards, he was using the environment too for to his advantage. He actually took he took a glass and broke open a couple barrels to flood over some of these guards and distract them so he's thinking he's always he's always trying to think of a certain strategy to stop whatever his opponent is when he was facing dragon he was also able to take a broken score sword and stuff it inside one of their chain or her chains to stop her for a couple seconds so he's good on the move he's good with quick decisions and i think with that he's gonna be he's gonna be a monster in the post he's gonna have haggard just falling over himself Left, right, center. Like I'm going to be shooting damn near ninety percent from the field. I, I, I don't, I don't know what Hagger can do, but I know what Shrek can do. And Shrek is a winner. He's a survivor, and that's that's really all it is. Like I, I don't even know why you should have your argument because Shrek already won. Boy, you are. Oof. Roger, uh, I'm not going to ask for you next, but just remember, and then the uh, when we come back for the player comp and the score later on. Copy. All right. Well, Roger and his okay argument, I guess, uh, for Shrek. That was that. Now, for Hagrid, my boy, Professor Rubus Hagrid, who is a half-giant. His father was a regular 
fellow, and his mother was a giant. Now, there is no official measurement for Hagrid, but by deduction, we can see what his height is. So in the books, there are two. there's two versions of Hagrid, obviously, the book version of Hagrid and the movie version of Hagrid. And I will be selecting the book version of Hagrid, and I will tell you why. In the books, they describe Hagrid as twice as tall as the average man, and at first was described as five times as wide as the average man, but later slimmed down to three times as wide as an average man. Shout out to his workout plan. So by that deduction, at the time, right now the average height of a man is five uh six, I believe. Five nine. Oh, five nine in the United States. Five nine in the United States. Or in the world, maybe. But at the time, I will give Roger a little slack. It's in England. The average height of a man around there was like five five. So he was they're estimated to be like five 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 six. He was around eleven three is what they've we've they've come down to. Eleven three. So off the Uh-oh. bat <laughs> off the bat has a three foot tall advantage. And I don't know what the weight has width, but that boy is wide. Three times the length the width of an average man. He is a unit. And Shrek has all this power, all yeah, fuck out of here with your strength and tallness. So some feats of Hagrid's strength. He threw a wizard, a dark wizard, one of Voldemort's boys, across the Great Hall. Now, if you are unfamiliar with what the Great Hall is, the Great Hall fits every single one of the Hogwarts student and staff into one room. And he just flung him. Then there are thousands of students in there. How much does this wizard weigh? It's a dark wizard pretty heavy probably like probably like 50 pounds dark he's very dark, dark. doesn't respect his uh his that's diet. just one <laughs> fought off an entire colony of giant spiders now not only did he fight off giant spiders which they're giant and spiders that mean the man has no fear spiders are the scariest thing on earth to some people to most people most people see a spider on their on their wall and freak the fuck out he saw a colony of giant spiders and said let's get it man has no fear no fear when he was younger he fought with trolls to like just play fight with trolls and trolls swing you, we saw the first movie or the first book just for for the the adjustment of height. You can reference it. Trolls as a youth. <laughs> Trolls as a youth. <laughs> just, just. <laughs> it's it's impressive. I know. Other feats of strength: twisted a gun barrel into a pretzel real easily, like. Meaning that wrist strength, that's just a little little flick of the wrist. And speaking of flick of the wrist, that boy got a magic wand. And that magic wand don't work without an ultra flick of the wrist. That beautiful wand motion, that flick that gets all these spells off. If you don't tell me that he has a nice little mid-range shot, well, he does. You're wrong if you, don't, if you say he doesn't have one because he does. And he has a little nice skill with the crossbow, meaning he does have aim with his hand skills. Meaning, 
The boy is going to shoot right at the top of the key and inside. He's got the range. And when you talk about smart, he sent a coded message to Harry on his way to Azkaban so that Harry and Ron could find the Chamber of Secrets. Shrek could never. Coded messages, he will outsmart Shrek in every sense of the word. So when we're looking at the basketball court here, Hagrid is going to have a strong post presence as well. Shrek has an okay post presence compared to Hagrid. He has three feet over Shrek and has the the length to shoot over Shrek. It's not even that he's going to really need to get close to the paint. He'll be able to go to the free throw line, just go a little shimmy. Have you ever shot over somebody three feet shorter than you? Have you ever shot over a child? Because that's what it's going to be playing like. Because three feet is the difference between an adult and a child. So I just don't see how Shrek will be able to contest any of the shots at all. And when Shrek, when Shrek, Shrek, Shrek shoots, he's going to get so stuffed, it'll look like a goddamn Thanksgiving turkey. <laughs> Oh man! And I mean, I could go on, but I feel like I've I've already smacked the competition with my argument. I'll let Roger try to rebuttal because this is getting ugly quickly. It is. <laughs> well, Roger, as judge, I do have some fact checks that I'd like to introduce at this time on Adam's argument. These are not rebuttals, but fact checks. Um, Adam, last time I checked, uh, Aragog and the spiders were Hagrid's pets, so fighting them. No, no, no. They were. That's when he sent Harry into there because he had to talk to them. But they're like, don't they don't go into the forest? Spiders fuck you up. They're not friends. They know of each other. They're not friends. I'm pretty sure they were his pets. No, I really pretty sure. We're gonna I, have to go back to the, the research on that. I'll check in a minute. He, had dragons uh, he pet, did have bro. dragons too. Uh, it takes also, a certain kind of person to raise thing, a dragon. That's just one other that thing. Yeah. Would he stop a dragon from their tail? Uh, I don't know about. I that. mean. Let's okay. Can I put this out there? That Hold on. dragon got fucked by a donkey. How threatening is that dragon really? That was before she got fucked by the donkey. She okay. got fucked by a small donkey. I'm not taking her as being very whoa whoa. Am I supposed to be using the the word you just said in the context of sexual nature or a fight? No, they fucked as in sexual and had children. Okay, thank you, thank you. That's what I thought. But how was that? Tell me more. Yeah, no, uh, I just checked also Hagrid didn't... He also uh, was not a magician. He he didn't pass. He wasn't allowed to do magic. Uh, you see, you're giving me a whole no, wrong so argument Hagrid here. got Hagrid got ro- uh, wrongly framed by Tom Riddle, which was like the old Voldemort, like the Voldemort before Voldemort, for opening the Chamber of Secrets. So he did get expelled by from Hogwarts, but then he was able to stay and become the groundskeeper, which he was able to still train for his magic. So he has magic in his umbrella, actually. And he has a wand. Uh, I have it right. What's his wand called? The 16 Oak wand. No, so he, he does have he it. He does, but he's not allowed to use magic. The Ministry of Magic, he's not an authorized magician. So if he's doing that on the court, he might be cited, might be taken off in match. Fine. You're going to have to take that under consideration. Hagrid breaks, no, no. breaks all the rules, bro. He raises fucking dragons. He doesn't give a shit. But Ministry of he's Magic? Fuck that's the what man. He is. Ministry of Magic. Ministry of Tragic. That's what I and I will say. not allow magic on my basketball court. That's not up to you. <laughs> the, 
That's not up to you. <laughs> no, it's up to the magic society, and he's not allowed to use magic anywhere. Dog, so, it's like basically saying you can't smoke weed in states that are illegal. Can you and not you smoke it? No. Do people still do it? For sure. I don't because I listen to the rules, and we follow the rules on this podcast. This is not how we're starting off season two, just breaking <laughs> rules everywhere, all right? Hey, Roger. Hey, Roger. What was the first time you had your sip? Uh, what's, what age did you get drunk first? It wasn't 21. 21. No, no, no. 21. I have, I have oh, buddy. Uh, I don't think so. So been lying to you for Ministry years. Of I'm magic, actually 36. Ministry of Schmagic. <laughs> I don't think anything's going to stop Hagrid from using the magic he wants to use. All right. As judge, I am throwing out the magic. We had so many arguments about letting magic into the basketball court. And no, the one time I want to use magic, this, he's not allowed case, to use magic. In this case, he's not allowed to do it. A- again, it's not going to hurt you. You're fine. You're still on equitable ground here. There's a long way to go in your arguments oh, here. My. So let's get back on track. I need some player comps from you both. Yumming. <laughs> Can. Kill it in the post. Great defender and has a mid-range shot that he shoots over a bunch of people. Yummy. Okay. Giannis. Giannis. Oh. Giannis. Big green, limited shooting wise. Might as well be Kendrick Perkins. And the post is a monster. Might as well be Kendrick you Perkins. Go, you go fuck yourself, <laughs> sir. You go fuck yourself. All right. You're over here you're lying about half your argument. You're, so you know, big green. You want a big green strong guy? Kendrick Perkins is your man. Accurate player comp, please. <laughs> Did you see how handsome Shrek is in his human form? Yadis is a handsome man. Uh, if Kendrick ever listens to this, I'm sorry, but you are not as handsome as, as Giannis. Stop it. Stop it right now. That's that's the worst play comp I've ever seen. All right. I have I have a couple of questions before we wrap this up. I still need a score for you both. So when I ask you your next question, please uh please give me that. Uh Adam, how do you plan uh, how is Harry gonna deal with the stench of the ogre? I've heard it's debilitating. Uh, Hagrid has dealt with many animals and many pets, and I cannot imagine their shit smells any less pleasant than uh, Shrek's farts. He's dealt, and he's the groundskeeper. He has to deal with shit. That's like his job. So I don't think that'll phase him at all. In score, score is going to be twenty-one to twenty-one ten, Hagrid. Wow, he's just, oh, he's just bigger. He's just better at everything Shrek does. Everything that you're trying to tell me that Shrek does, Hagrid's better at. He's bigger, he's stronger, and he can shoot. Has he stopped the dragon? Has he stopped the dragon by their tail? For one second, he's fucking fought trolls at a youth. Trolls at youth, Roger. Uh, uh, yeah. All right. Were they young trolls too? How big were these trolls? Real at trolls. Youth? And he fought off giants before. He also I, did fight I off giants. Don't, I don't know about this. I don't know about. This. Did he lose? Or did he win? He's alive to tell the tale, so you tell me. <laughs> All right. Well, they whooped his ass, so they can keep on whooping his ass later on. Like that's you don't tr- you don't, you don't truly win against giants. You just. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Roger. Uh, I need a score from you. Uh, also, uh, last question for you. Uh, Ultimately, any good close player has more than one post move, and we know that Shrek is very strong. He's going to be really using that, but how do you think he's going to – what's his go-to counter move? What's the second move he's going to be able to to get some points in this matchup? I think I think he's going to be quick off the step because, like I said, he's, he's, he's 450. He's 8 feet. 
And he, he was able to keep up with these guards in combat. But not only that, when he was fighting the dragon, he was able to move around this dragon. Like, he was trying everything he could to save his, his pal Donkey. And for as big as this dragon is compared to him, let's say he's eight feet. Like, I, I, I think we can more than probably like five times that, even more for a dragon. His reaction speed to that dragon to keep himself alive, I think is insane. But also, before that, in the first movie, he was able to catch, catch Donkey. And according to Google, donkeys can run up to 40 miles per hour. <laughs> <laughs> the wow. adult donkey can move up to 40. So you know what? He's probably quick off that first step. I don't know what you're saying. It seems like you're, you're muted. muted. Thoroughbred donkeys. But you know what? Thoroughbred donkeys can run up to 40 miles an hour. Donkey is no okay. thoroughbred. Yo, don't disrespect Donkey. Donkey is okay? the runt of the litter. He can make waffles. Yeah, he's don't. the he's the waffle making Donkey. He ain't the running kind of Donkey. Okay, don't disrespect Donkey. If anything, maybe he runs thirty miles per hour. Point I is, think that's, I that's give him fifteen at most. Again. He got the shortest legs of a Donkey I ever seen. Everything in his body is his head. You put some respect on his name. He fucked the dragon. All right, I <laughs> he's got shit running for him. All right, half his body weight so, like is his said, fucking I, head and dick. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> 2117, my quick step ogre, who's also a handsome human when he decides to be, is is going to take take it to Agar. He's going to. I don't care how many young ogres that he's fought that Adam doesn't know about or he's lost. Has he ever won these won these fights or he's just fought with them? I've fought with people that I've lost to. You've seen it. There's, there's video. There's video evidence. I've lost to people. I, I wouldn't call that. I, I wasn't a fight. That was more of just a nice putting down. Uh, all right. Well, what, did he have? That was more of a. Did he have some nice putting downs, more, or did he have fights? More of a tucking into I think the we ground. Need to get, he just tucked you in. I think. I think that that's what we need to search into first, because you're saying fights. What, was he just tucked into the ground, like not me? But other people could be tucked into the ground? No, he held his own. Haggard ain't no bitch. I don't know. You gave us some wrong information already, so now I'm already questioning you. All right. Uh, anything else that you'd like to add before I uh, issue my summary judgment? I think the fact that Roger says that Shrek has no outside shooting ability and was just going to be running into Hagrid time and time <laughs> again <laughs> and praying that he can make up the three-foot difference and skill... I just do not see how this is a close contest. Well, I'm going to have to go ahead and disagree with you there. I think it is going to be close. Um, so here's how I see it going down. You know, obviously, both of these guys are towards the extreme end of the of the basketball size. Hager being 11 feet tall was a little bit unexpected. I knew he was big. <laughs> I didn't know he was that big. Uh, I am a little bit worried for some concussion protocols here hitting his head on the rim. Wait, uh, wait. Is Hold on. I forget. We're playing on a standard 10-foot rim. So... Hagrid is taller Stop. than the rim. Cut it out. And let the judge speak. I'm just I just wanted to the throw judge that out there. I just want, I just wanted to make that known. I forgot to put point that out. Judge is speaking. <laughs> yes, which is why that might be an issue, believe it or not. That might be an issue. He might be too tall. You never know. But here's how here's how I see it playing. 
I think I think Shrek is going to get out to a, a slower start. And the reason why I think that's going to happen is there's going to be an adjustment period playing against a player this big, right? Hagrid is not only tall, he also has the girth factor here. I, I'm pretty confident uh, that he weighs more than 440 pounds just from seeing the visual aids I have through the years. And also my picture of Hagrid as a kid when I was reading the books little interplay i always pictured him being the biggest person i've ever seen kind of reminded me of the uh the stanford tree mascot that's that's kind of how i pictured hagrid looking regardless i think i think hagrid will do pretty well on offense uh at the beginning where i see him having some struggles uh, is in the stamina department now hagrid is a, is a big guy and he does have a history uh, of being tired in some of the books right getting fatigued let's say you know when you're that big it's hard to keep going full blast the full time the other problem with shrek though is does he have a handle if he can't shoot and he can't back down he's relying on brute strength versus a mountain of a man that's gonna be an issue ultimately as i said i think shrek starts off a little sluggish right gets down maybe six to one you know, makes a comeback. Shrek's going to have the Euro step. He's going to he's gonna be able to do something in the paint there. He's too quick, too strong for his size. He'll be able to do some things. See Shrek going up. Probably, you know, it'll be 14-11 at that point in time. And this is what I see being the key to the match. There's going to be a timeout in the middle of the match. And you know what happens? Because there's so much post play going on, they're going to have to repaint the lines. All of these guys, <laughs> the whole entire match is taking place there, and it's going to give Hagrid a second wind. I think Hagrid, with the recovery oh, time, oh, will come oh, back. No, there's, there's no timeout. 21 to 19 in a barn burn. What are we talking about? Where's this timeout coming from? Stop. Roger <laughs> was all for the timeout. It did not favor him. <laughs> What do you mean, Repaint? There's another side of the court. It's a full court. They just moved over. What are you talking about? Oh, man. Not in this court. Not in this fairy tale court. This is an Olympic standard three on three court, by the way. Ain't no other side. Look, we, we need to establish what kind of courts we're using, too, because that's bullshit. That is absolute bullshit. Oh, man. All in all, very close matchup. Well argumented, except for some of the lies. Even with that, I think Hagrid is uniquely positioned to take on the challenge of Shrek. He has the size factor, the strength factor. That is, Shrek's advantage there isn't going to be as big as it would be versus most people. And also, I asked about the stench. Most people would not be able to stay near that ogre. I think Hagrid, due to the the beasts that he hangs out with, Aragog, his pets, uh, I think he's uniquely positioned to handle that uh, piece of adversity. And there you have it. Don't, don't there you have it with me. <laughs> there's, there's a second side to the court. I didn't know what. If this is what season two is going to be, it's going to be a rough season. I, I'm telling you that right now. Oh, man. It just feels good to make a little comeback against somebody that had such an outrageous calling in the first matchup. So it just feels like karma kind of came around to do the right thing. Lessons learned for you both, though. Just saying, as judge. Roger, don't be so confident next time. Adam, don't lie so much next time. And maybe we'll see what happens. Listen, man. Oh, so you respect liars and you respect uh, overconfidence. Uh, no. 
I did not say that. I think I clearly presented my argument of why I think it happened. happened. Yeah, repainting the court. (laughs) You know, know, Austin, I'll be surprised if you get another win. (laughs) You're going to hold this against me, Roger, already? Only one week? I hold grudges. I hold grudges. All right? Just wait till you get a five-week losing streak. Then we'll talk. Yeah, no. It doesn't feel good after. Let's see if if you win if I'm grudge, all right? All right, well, uh, well, there you have it. Uh, the second matchup, we have Hagrid taking it over Shrek, 21-19. Our first matchup, we had Russell Westbrook taking it over the Dr. J. Yeesh. Anyway, that is it for this week. Uh, please give us a follow on mono underscore y underscore mono underscore podcast. A mouthful, but not that hard to type on Instagram. And Mono E Mono 2, <laughs> the number 2 on Twitter, much easier to say and type. Let us know if you guys agree with these rulings, what kind of matchups you want to see. We we take we take feedback. But anyway, until next time, season 2 coming at you. Peace.